Well, hello and welcome to another episode of IP Frequently. I'm here as I am every week with my very close friend and confidant, business partner, and uh, general man about town, the father of his own children, Mr. David Michael Pridham. How are you, David? Good, Brad. How are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. I, uh, I'm in a bit of an unusual circumstance here today as I sit in my house, which currently has no roof. And of course, it's chosen today to violently thunderstorm. So not a common occurrence here where I live. But of course, on the one day where I have no roof, it's chosen to do that. So I figured for today's song, it was really kind of a no-brainer. We would go with the lead single from what I know is a 1990 album. So I, I don't want to get a lot of you know email and tweets and Insta faces and things of that nature from our audience worldwide. I, I know it's a 1990 album, but the song itself was written in the late 80s. And it is Thunderstruck from ACDC's album, The Razor's Edge. So uh, let's give it a listen. Buddy, what did you think about that? Well, I, color me surprised. I thought you were going towards uh, one Carol King and up on the roof. Oh, that would have been a good choice. What year was that, though? That would have been in the 70s, probably 60s, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it could, it could have even been 60s. I, I will say for my part that the first two minutes of Thunderstruck is two of the finest minutes in the history of rock and roll. But then the song just kind of goes downhill from that for me. I mean, the lead into the song is amazing. It gets you fired up. Uh, but then the, you know, sort of body of the song itself, I, I just, I believe just didn't really live up to the, uh, to the run up, if you will. I think that's a fair critique, my friend. And, uh, uh, for those of you, um, will be citing this in a Supreme court, uh, brief for justice Gorsuch. This is at the two minute, 21 second mark of IP Frequently, episode 42. Well, all right. I mean, it's a uh, obviously a stormy day here where I am. I, how's the weather where you are? I know you're, uh, you and the family are on the road this weekend. Well, I too, my friend, am not right now under a roof. I'm sitting out on a uh, what can only be described as a deck um, hmm. in the crow's nest of uh, the ocean house here, looking down at a foggy day, but it's a, it's a, the sun is there. It's a warm day. But there's a lot nice. of fog around, a lot of mist, okay. a lot of fog. You know how it is. Oh, there's a, another reference to the 80s. Didn't the movie The Fog come out in the 80s? Early 80s. Great John Carpenter film. Terrific. And they yeah. remade that at least at least once, and it got progressively worse as they re remade it. Yeah. Well, no, no surprise there. Tough to beat John Carpenter. I remember watching that movie in the 80s as a uh, relatively young man and being uh, – Somewhat startled throughout the entire uh, process. Scared the heck out of me. Like, yeah. that, Halloween, Friday the 13th, oh. scary, scary stuff. Yeah, see, those movies ruined me. Like, I, you still are able to watch a horror movie. That's something that you enjoy on occasion. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, it, it the whole thing gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, well, they're, they're horror. I mean, the, the, new, the new generation of, of horror films, The Conjuring and uh, what is it? The, the, the new It. 
you know, the it yeah. that we saw when we were kids that was on the TV, the miniseries right. was with John, the great John Ritter was terrifying enough. Um, but now you've got the new, the new thing they're doing. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely terrifying. And I'll, I'll watch a horror movie or, or, or two, but not with my wife. She won't watch. She refuses. Um, but I'll see them in the summertime with Pastor Zach, who will be on a, yeah. a future uh, future episode of IP Freeman. And we're looking forward to that. Pastor Zach is a good man and also capable of watching a horror movie. I happened to watch the trailer for the remake of Pet Cemetery, and I was oh, up for three oh, days. So I can't. Oh, yeah. I, I, no. I don't know what no, no, would no, happen no, no, no. if I watched it. If I watched the movie. So sometimes dead is better. Dead is better. That's from up in your neck of the woods, right? Where was that supposed to be filmed? It's up in up in Maine, up somewhere in Maine, mm. in the woods of Maine. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, what's amazing, you're in Colorado when you're not in some hotel, and I'm here in in Watch Over Rhode Island. But still, the the uh, the the studio audience we have going here is uh, is um, it's it's better than dead. It's a vibrant uh, studio yes. audience. I mean, yes. the faces out there are incredible. I mean, some some happy, some some militants. Less some so, mili- yeah. yeah. But everyone is here. Well, the commitment of our studio audience is, I would say, second to none. I mean, there there may be podcasts that have a larger studio audience. I'm not, I, I don't know that, um, but none with a higher level of commitment to to make it happen week in and week out. Virus, no virus, riot, no riot. They're there, buddy. Migraine, on time, migraines, on yeah, no migraines, whatever. D dubs, you know, no no worries. They'll they'll still come no in. Worries. They, they don't care. Codeine, no. they'll, they'll take. But I'll tell you what, it's um. It's impressive uh, what uh, our core audience has done. And it, and it seems like what's so great about our audience and how consistent they are is that even if we spend money uh, promoting this podcast, it appears that less people listen. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's typically not the route you want to go. But, I mean, typical is not the route we usually take here at IP Frequency. Now, some so. people could call us the Dave Winfield of IP podcasts, only with at least <laughs> one bronze Stevie Award, which Winfield never got, of course. That's correct. The Mr. May of baseball uh, never had himself a bronze Stevie, although he did kill a bird with a baseball. You remember that? I do, I do remember that. I believe that was a pigeon, though, not a bird. I think that's technically <laughs> yeah. a mammal, maybe a mammal. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's technically a winged rat, but uh, impressive nonetheless. I mean, to be able to. Take out the bird. I don't. I, I. I think he maintained that he didn't do it on purpose. But I have my doubts. If if he could do that on purpose, then he's the greatest athlete of all time. Well, that that, that could be. Although, you know, rivaled by Jose Canseco, I, I don't know many athletes capable of using their head to uh, get a ball that normally would have been an out into a round trip over the fence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, the only other person that I know that can kill birds at the same rate and with the same tenacity as Winfield is my friend Ed Helm, who's been known to, well, kill a bird or two. Kill a bird. Yeah, yeah. indeed. And Especially Orioles. He likes to go after the Orioles and the Red Robins. Mm. Yeah. Well, who can blame them? Brightly colored, cheerful birds bring a guy down every time. Well, he does it with a blow dart, too, Brad, a blow dart. It's impressive. Well, he's, I mean, Ed is nothing if not old school. I mean, he's not going to use some form of modern weaponry when a blow dart will do the job. That's just not Ed. That's a good point. That's a good point. So where, where do we go from here? What do you, what do you want to start? You want to start with the uh, state of America today? It seems like it's doing really well. Everyone's calm and getting along. Do you want to start there or do you want to? <laughs> well, 
go to uh, yeah. where, where do you go to baseball? Maybe that's coming back. They all hate each other too. So you know, we could talk about the reemergence of baseball. We could go into the time machine. Um, you you tell me what um, what what floats your boat today, my friend. Well, I think you know. I mean, look, I I think we the state of America just sort of is what it is. I think we're unfortunately we've got the perfect storm going where we're trying to you know, learn how to deal with the new reality that we've seemed to choose for ourselves with respect to this particular brand of the coronavirus. That's got people frustrated and upset. It's got the market topsy-turvy. That's got people frustrated and upset. It's just a a tinderbox, my friend, waiting for a match. And as is usual here in the old US of A, we're, we're fine throwing a match into the tinder anytime we get an opportunity. So, you know, I think we're just going to have to to ride that out. And uh, it would be helpful to ride it out if we had some baseball to watch the uh, American pastime after all. But I don't think we're going to get it this year. The last thing I saw, the players said they were just wanted the owners to come out with a schedule for next year. Well, I I heard they were close to a deal. First of all, uh, look, I mean, talk about two sides, uh, you know, two two sets of dumbbells, right, with no leverage (laughs) whatsoever the owners and the players in baseball. I mean, you've got both of them, one uh, group, the owners or whatever they call them now, general partners or or whatever, um, who have an asset that is just like, it's sort of like holding radio stock in the 1950s, right? (laughs) Hello. Um, And then on the other side, you have a bunch of players, um, you know, I mean, picture, picture some dying sport uh, right at the advent of something that's really, interesting right like dodgeball as opposed to basketball right of course yeah so you know and 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 the diminishing skill set diminishing asset they should come to first of all they should come together they should be playing now um because people would actually watch because i look you're talking to a guy here fella who has watched three straight weekends of ufc fights on saturday nights (laughs) on espn because i can't watch any more reruns of the 1983 um bill russell Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, I hear you. I've uh, I found myself watching. Uh, I think I was telling you about this the other day. I it sat down. I, I intended to sit down for a brief period of time and wound up there for a half hour watching dodgeball with jugglers. So you, you imagine a a dodgeball court with six players, five of which are engaged in the hurling of balls as is usual. And the sixth one is up against the back wall with six bowling pins. And my guy's got to keep the bowling pins constantly in the air as he juggles them. And the objective of each team is to knock the juggler out so that the bowling pins hit the floor. And, uh, you know, for a half an hour, that's entertaining. But after that, my friend, you're looking for some baseball. Yeah, well, that's it. And, and, and baseball today is not even what it was. 20, 30 years ago, but I, I would take just about anything. I, I almost watched the car races the other, you know, the big car race. Yeah. Car races. Yeah. Well, I would have applauded you if you could have done that. I cannot watch and I'm not knocking it again. No hate mail, please. I, I'm, I'm sure there are any number of aspects of the sport. I don't understand, but I cannot watch cars turn left for three hours. I, I just, I can't. No, it's like I left, mean, left, left. Yeah, I'd rather I watch can't. horses turn left. I mean, again, oh, sorry. Wait, yeah, yeah, horse, horse people, people who are horse, uh, turning left. Yeah, yes. people that are people that are right that are horse. Yeah, um, but no, and I and I, I can't even the, the golf. 
you know, if Tiger Woods is playing, yep, I'll watch. Uh, but I'm I'm not going to watch, you know, a, a bunch of kids from SMU hit a ball. Or, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I literally would rather watch White Bill Morgan throw a bocce ball, if you know what I mean. And that, let me tell you, I mean, that's a, a, uh, a valid comparator because White Bill Morgan throwing anything is always an opportunity for adventure. You don't know where that thing's well, going. Uh, good point. Well, let's go into since we're we're in our uh, baseball segment. Let's go into our world famous uh, user mail uh, uh, segment, and we've got now questions for the colonel. Questions for oh. the colonel coming from our uh, studio audience. They've all got their tablets, which they get to keep, um, and they've they've compiled some questions. And we're going to focus on the ones that relate directly to baseball. So okay. uh, the first question for the colonel. So colonel, put on your Karnak hat. Um, mm. We've sort of covered on this, but uh, covered this. But will there be baseball in the United States in 2020? I'll tell you what. That's will an there be baseball in 2020? United States, yeah, because obviously my my old man, whom you know, uh, he is uh, not to be trifled with, and will go great lengths to see some baseball. And, and he now actually has a favorite Korean baseball team. That's the uh, it's almost pushed my poor old man over the edge. He's, he's rooting for Korean baseball. But, uh, no, my, my answer to that question, my friend, is here in the good old Estados Unidos, there will not be baseball in 2020. To your point, you've got one brand of knucklehead trying to out-knucklehead another brand of knucklehead, and that leads to no baseball. That's my, uh, that's my take. I mean, my only point on that would be don't they have to play? I mean, they have to. I mean, there's money, so much money to be made just on TV, right? They're not going to get the gate, but the, the TV, I mean, people will, the, the baseball ratings, if they played baseball starting in July 4th, which is a no-brainer, um, yeah. if they played baseball, the TV ratings would be through the roof. I mean, they, for baseball, right? You'd have yes. like NFL-like ratings. Um, it, it's too, it's too commonsensical, right? It's too, um, it, 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 it has to happen, right? I, I would think it, so I will say, I think you're wrong. And even though I was not a colonel, I was a buck private uh, for a couple of weeks in the ROTC reserves. Um, I'm, I'm going to say we'll, we'll play this back, and I might be right. Second question uh, for the colonel. Uh, DiMaggio or Williams, who would you take if you were starting a team in the 1940s? DiMaggio or Williams? Oh, man. Uh, I, I'm going to take – well, I, I got a lot of biases here. I mean, one – they both, you know, obviously slipped a little in their in their older years, but DiMaggio really sailed off the deep end. Plus, I mean, Ted Williams was a war hero in two separate global conflicts, right? So, uh, and a fighter pilot, so I and could hit the curve like nobody else. So, I for me, I'm going to start with the splendid splinter. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that between the two. Even though I love Mr. Coffee, uh, I would no, say you're probably right. And I think the big thing you have to understand between those two is that there's only one of them that potentially could come back and hit again and add to his stats. And there's also only one of them who could potentially come back and fight another uh, global or intergalactic conflict, and that's Ted Williams. And you raise, see, you raise an excellent point there. And that, uh, and that I think, is why – I mean, don't, don't let uh, you know, what people say fool you. I mean, it's, it's the government of the United States that saved Ted Williams' head. I mean, they know the value of a good fighter pilot who can hit the curveball. Well, as a good friend of mine has always said, there's only one man who is in the baseball and fly fishing 
Hall of Fame, and maybe it's his fishing Hall of Fame, and that's uh, Ted Williams. There you go. And that, I think, probably answers the question as well as it can be for anyone. Good point. Good point. So now now one more. I've got a couple more, but but one more on baseball is who is the best player you have ever seen in person in baseball? Well, I, I, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this answer because I actually did get to see Willie Mays when I was a kid. Say um, hey. He was not – he said the say hey kid, but he was obviously not in his prime. So the best player I've ever gotten to see play baseball uh, was Willie Mays, but not at his best. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's my answer to that question. So I'm going to say Ken Griffey Jr. I so, knew you were going to go Ken Griffey Jr. And I don't so disagree. Good. Yeah. So good. I don't disagree. Yeah. And then the last the last question for the colonel is, what is the fastest marsupial on earth? Although I don't think that's really baseball related, unless there's a yeah, so the fastest marsupial on earth. So we, we know this has to come from uh, Probably Australia Clemente, right? or New Zealand. Clemente? Right? Is Clemente marsupial? I, I, I never saw the pouch. Um, I'm going to say the great Australian kangaroo. And there you go. So that's whoever asked that. Probably yeah, one of our Aussie members of the uh, of the audience. And they'll all be lined up three, four deep to uh, get uh, their uh, Aunt Jemima pancake boxes autographed by the Colonel after this. Speaking of Aunt Jemima, what do you think about the disappearing American brands? Yeah, it is. is. Some people. Yeah. Some people, the rest of you have to buy them. Well, and, uh, you know, I I, I mean, certainly for guys that are our age uh, and and even uh, to a certain extent older, certainly younger. Whoa, 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 whoa. Two different generations. Just to be clear for the folks at home and the folks who are playing the home game, two different, you and I, two different generations. We're talking about two men deep into their fifties, my friend. We are are talking about two, we are talking about two men. That, that I give you, that's clear. Anyway, I digress. Yes. Well, I, and you know what? I mean, I, I, I like to give a little bit of credit if I think people's hearts are in the right place. Now that's always a difficult thing to assume with a large corporation. Right. I mean, rare indeed is the large corporation that can see past the dollar sign. So I'm sure, you know, this is a Quaker Oats brand, which at the end of the day is a Pepsi brand. That's a big corporation. So I'm sure someone is calculating dollars here. But I I find it very hard to believe that what's wrong with America is the fact that we have Aunt Jemima pancake mix and syrup. I find that very hard to believe. I don't want to be short-sighted. I certainly don't want to step on anyone's toes. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, are they going to take the the white guy off the Quaker Oats box? I mean, is that is that offensive? Well, I'll tell you what. What I'm concerned about, I, I'm very concerned. I've always been a log cabin man, and I know yeah. Lincoln was born in a log cabin. And they're taking they're literally taking down the they're taking down the statue of Lincoln in, in Boston. So of Lincoln. Uh, of Lincoln. You haven't read that? I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Well, well, what, what did poor Lincoln do? I mean, I would think if anyone would get to have a statue, it would be Lincoln. No, and, and look, I've, and, and you and I have talked about this. I've always been of the mindset that, uh, you know, the, the great line that history is is littered with fallen statues. And that's what happens well, that's, when that's true. new mindsets and new regimes take over. And that's appropriate, right? I mean, yeah, you know, sure. you use the uh, whole Caligula line. Um you know, there are no statues that we know of in public. Yeah, not that I know. Uh, anyway, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, and I always go back to like New Orleans in the 90s with the Robert E. Lee statue at Lee Circle with Lee, who was clearly, you know, I mean, whether he was a great tactician or not, was a, a, a general who turned on the United States. Uh, the statue intentionally has him turned with his back towards the north. Um, you can see how an African-American yeah, would be incredibly offended by that. Statue. Yeah, exactly. And that should, and that right. should come down. And that, that has yep. come down. That should have come down. All those, all those Confederate statues should come down. I think I have no yep. problem with that. Um, but at some point, you know, there are discussions that you have to be able to have about things like a Lincoln statue in Boston or, um, yeah, I mean, I've, you've seen the press about the Winston Churchill statue at the house of, uh, at the, um, at uh, Westminster Abbey or yeah. somewhere in the UK that's getting vandalized every day. And at some point we have to say, okay, let's take a breath and let's talk about some of the underlying issues that are causing this. Right. Right. Well, and I, and I completely agree. I mean, you and I are on exactly the same page. There's symbolism in some of these statues. That, that symbolism has its time. It comes, it goes. Um, but I, I completely agree that history, I mean, you, both you and I were, uh, you know, in, in our post high school educations, uh, you were a philosophy major, I was a history major. So, I mean, we we're both great believers in what mankind has learned over the years and the value of those lessons and being able to apply them going forward. And so where I think we have to be careful is between trying to differentiate between a, a symbol whose time is gone and should be remediated and a lesson that can be taught from history. I mean, tra trying to change history is a very dangerous thing to do. Um, so I think that's where you want to be careful. And that's sort of a, that, that, that pretty much the Robert E. Lee thing, I think was going to be our barred or banned segment anyway. And I think we both agreed that it should be barred and banned. Ba banned. banned. Yeah. yeah. So we both agree on that. We do, and and speaking of speaking of changing history, um, that leads us to our award winning segment. Uh, and everyone here knows what that said. We we literally have a for those of you not here with me and Brad in separate places. Uh, the audience is now doing what can only be described as a wave. Uh, wow! The Aussie, of yeah. course, is flipping us off, but that's well, he does expected. his wave in the opposite direction. It's, it's, it's because he's below the equator, but that's a separate issue. Down under. Down. Yeah. Yeah. So, so time machine. So so let's let's open the uh, the envelope and see where we're sending the uh, colonel uh, on this adventure. And uh, OK, so we are sending him back to 1865, April, in fact. Oh, my goodness. To the assassination mm. uh, of uh, Abraham Lincoln early in the day on mm. uh, that fateful April day um, at, at the Ford's Theater. What was the play, by the way? It was playing on that day. Oh, was it My American Cousin? It was. Whew. And I, I'm going to give good. you credit there because you, you're the one, I think, that taught me that. I, I did not know in some previous discussion that we had. But uh, Great play. My, my, American my, dad could actually, my dad could actually recite the entire play. There's some, <laughs> there's some, great, there's some great, great lines. It does not surprise me. Yeah. There are some great lines. But So the colonel is going back in time. Um, mm -hmm. to the early morning hours of the day Lincoln was assassinated to Ford's Theater with a copy, 
and if you see if I'm reading this correctly, a copy of uh, the manuscript for the great American musical Pippin. So again, the Colonel hmm. is going back in time, not with Zima, but with a copy of the manuscript of the great, and that's, that's some incredible intellectual property right there, folks. Incredible. That's, well, IP. that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great uh, Ben Vereen uh, vehicle, the American uh, musical, uh, I believe Tony Award winning musical should pivot. Be. Certainly should be. So there you go. That's going to be a big, big surprise for you. A little Kurt, you're not going there with a howitzer or a gun or a taser uh, or, you know, pair of handcuffs or whatever. Uh, you're going back with a copy of a manuscript. Um, of the great American musical Pippin. What, what is it you would do uh, with that, my friend? Well, here's what I think I'm going to do. So Pippin, uh, a lot of folks, I, think I see some confusion in the studio audience. This is not a musical about Scotty Pippin. Right? I mean, I think we've got some folks that, that have that confused. I mean, should a musical be done about Scotty Pippin or at least about the uh, Bulls of the 90s? Probably. But this is Maybe. a different, yeah, this is a different uh, Pippin. And Brad, and so, for those for those of us for those millennials in the audience and uh, uh, whatever they call the other generations, um, Pippin captivated Brad and my youth in a way that very few other plays or events uh, have. Uh, it was sort of like uh, uh, you know, uh, some some of Mark Twain's you know, Huckleberry Finn or. Uh, farewell to Arms with Hemingway and oh, sure. yeah. all the Catcher expats in, the in Paris, Catcher in the Rye in the '60s, and then and then uh, um, you know there was Pippin and and Brad and I yeah. grew up on that the beautiful music, the prancing about. Um, anyway, I digress. Well, I mean, there's just not. I mean, I in fact I can't name another musical in which Charlemagne plays a key role. You and I both big Charlemagne fans. And, yeah. uh, you know, you know, another guy whose statues probably won't, uh, survive the coming storm. But yeah. So anyway, I'm in, I'm in 1865. I've got my copy of Pippin and Washington, I march DC. off. You're in Washington, Washington, DC. Ford's theater. Ford's theater. I'm, I'm, I'm Ford's marching theater. to Ford's theater and I am there, uh, to stage left up above in the, what amounted to that day, certainly the presidential box. And I'm prepared for. President Lincoln's arrival with his party. And I have this copy of Pippin with me, which I am able to use uh, to draw the president's attention. I mean, obviously, any man who's willing to sit through My American Cousin is going to be intrigued uh, by a musical, the quality of Pippin. And so uh, setting aside the fact that he's somewhat shocked to see me, uh, I introduce myself, Mr. President, it's a pleasure. I begin to introduce him to the musical Pippin. I reach my hand into my pocket. And of course uh, you, and what, you don't have a, you don't have a pocket because you have to travel Terminator style as we've discussed in the past. Well, the even, white bill led by a Zima discussion. Even, even uh, Terminator style, a man, you know, has a, has a pocket, so to speak. And I, uh, I find a penny and, uh, and I think it's, you know, ironic and apropos both. I mean, here I have a, a penny and it's got President Lincoln's engraving on it, which is, of course, interesting for him to see his own engraving on, on some of the U.S. currency. And I use that penny to do what anyone would do in that situation. I penny the door shut to the, uh, to the presidential box 
so that the president and and uh, the first lady and I, I are undisturbed as we review Pippin. Pippin, the president, makes his comments, adds a few things. I I think most people don't realize that some of the lyrics in that hit musical were actually amended a bit by the former president, because I, of course, bring it back when I come back. And uh, that stymies the assassination attempt. Now, unfortunately, uh, President Lincoln is so overcome by the uh, the potential for Pippin that he Pippin that he stumbles on his his way out of the theater and is kicked in the head by a horse and and uh, three days later passes away, but um, not assassinated. Yeah. So well, again, you vi- you violated the rules on a number of levels. Uh, one, you had a I guess a penny. Right. I did. Uh, so that violates the rules. That violates the rules. Remember, and again, I refer you back to episode 40 where uh, Bill Morgan asked if he could have two more Zima. And you said no, my friend. You said no. You said you were limited to well, that four pack of Zima. Well, well, actually, you know, that's, that's not what you said. I'm not going to touch that. He's, he's wearing uh, LL Cool J pants from circa 1987. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but in any event, that's. Interesting. Others would have just gone to the uh, uh, owner of Ford's Theater and said, look, cancel out this whole American cousin thing and, uh, you know, go with uh, Ben Vereen. Give him a shot. Give the kid a shot. Give the kid a shot. And that's look. And again, um, that's how Donna Pescow got the role in Angie that she got. Right. I mean, that's how all great actors and actresses start out is someone uh, stepping in, stopping an assassination of a president saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to stand for this. Well, that's a, that's an excellent point. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, even if they, well, I think if they had staged Pippin with Ben Vereen instead of my American cousin, that even John Wilkes Booth might've been distracted by the pageantry and the majesty of that performance. And, uh, may have he probably would have shot, he probably would have shot Vereen. Probably would have shot Vereen. Well, yeah, I actually, given who John Wilkes Booth was, he probably would have. And that's another episode of I Pre Frequently. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. I was